0: Welcome to the Capital Integrative Health Podcast, a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health, an integrative practice committed to expanding access to holistic root cause medicine to the global community. Today, we are bringing your conversation with Dr. David Hagedorn. Dr. Hagenorn is a clinical health psychologist and neuropsychology expert and a recognized leader in the clinical neuroscience field. As an international speaker and instructor for advanced psychoneuroelectrophysiology assessments and interventions, Dave has a specialized skill set in working with patients with anxiety, depression, PTSD, ADHD, and much more. Join us today for a conversation about the root causes of conditions such as anxiety, depression, ADHD, and PTSD, and what you can do to support your brain health. All right, well, welcome Dr. David Hagedorn to the podcast today, and we're so glad to have you here with us.
1: Pleasure to be here. Nice to talk to you.
0: And uh, Dr. Hagedorn, you are an internationally known expert in clinical psychology and neuropsychology. So we just wanted to kind of start broadly first. What made you first interested in this field?
1: Sure, so I was doing a lot of neuropsychological testing with patients in Dallas and um, parts of Oklahoma. And it became apparent that after an eight hour test battery and a 12, 15 page report, all I was able to do is tell the patient their head was not working correctly. Something they knew before they walked in and to charge $2,000 to tell them that, but not really have a good treatment plan other than you know get cognitive therapy, go see your primary care doctor. It was embarrassing, frankly. I mean, I could articulate the problems with testing, but I had no solutions. And I started adding the EEG analysis to my neuropsychological testing uh, at some point. And I realized that in 30, 45 minutes of data collection, I knew more about the brain function than in eight hours of neuropsychological testing. And I knew how abnormal each area was and I knew what symptoms they would have so I could predict their symptoms just with the data from the brain so the best part was it actually gave me targets targets to treat um, with neurofeedback with brain stimulation with uh, selective use of medications with treating underlying mechanisms like uh, enteric nervous system problems so uh, it became apparent that that was most useful And then the the Department of the Navy, um, through a large contract company, hired me to come teach neuroscience um, at Camp Lejeune in the residency program. So I became an adjunct faculty for the military medical school, and staff with the hospital for uh, teaching the residency. And we brought this concept to the Navy, um, yet the testing would still take, you know, 45 minutes. You would have to take a half hour, 45 minutes to analyze the data. And while it was tremendously useful with um, military members coming back from Belusia with blast injury and PTSD, uh, it still wasn't smooth enough, fast enough, automated enough to make it go to a clinical level. It was still a, a lab level tool. And we decided that we gotta make a better mousetrap, something that would be faster, easier, automated, kind of idiot proof frankly <laughs> um and that's that was the genesis of the of the company and i got a little bit of money from an investor out of, out of the country and that launched uh evoke
0: right so for thank you for that answer um dr hagedorn for the for those that do not know dr david hagedorn is um founder of the evoke neuroscience company which i believe you founded in 2009 is that correct right and uh, let's let's talk about that for a sec. So the Evoke brain mapping, What what is the Evoke test? What are some of the features of that test?
1: Right. So there is no such thing as really the Evoke test. Evoke's a company, but um, EEG analysis using quantitative methods is used worldwide. And it's been used for over 20 years worldwide and validated worldwide. So Evoke didn't create a unique test. All we did was make it more um, efficient, easier, and automated. So um, you are doing a 19-channel EEG, a three-channel ECG for looking at the heart. And with that data, we're able to collect heart rate variability data. We're able to record all areas of the brain. We're able to look at what's called evoked potentials, which is processing speed in under certain conditions that the brain is put through. Um, So all these tests have been in existence for decades, uh, but they've all been in labs um, and in research papers and because it wasn't easy enough to put it in a clinic. So all of Oak did was take existing proven technology, simplify it, automate it, and distribute it to clinicians that would then have another tool in their toolbox.
0: Now, just to be clear, what is the difference between a quantitative EEG and a standard EEG that you might might see from the neurology sure. office?
1: Great question. And it's a routine EEG. So, in a routine EEG, you look at you know typically nineteen channels, sometimes more, very infrequently less than that, um, and you'll record it. And you're looking for morphology. Morphology is the shape of the wave and you're looking for certain features in the wave, like spikes, certain abnormal features, which tell you you have cortical abnormality. Most EEG reports are dictated in 30 seconds. Um, Person looks at the data very quickly and they dictate the report Um, and that's useful, but they almost always say normal. Even though the brain's not normal, the patient's got tons of symptoms, the the routine EEG will say normal findings it'll say you know maybe a sleepy pattern maybe it'll say some artifact it'll tell you about their uh, alpha rhythm but for the most part they say normal and you're like well, why don't even order this because they keep coming back normal and i know the patient's brain is far from normal quantitative eeg um, is also just as v- valuable in combination with a routine eeg All you do is you take that person's EEG, you compare it to a normal reference group by age and gender. And then you take each frequency and you dissect each frequency out of the squiggly lines. And then you plot that in pictures and images, and you can show difference from normal uh, across all areas of the brain. For example, if you've got frontal temporal dementia, typically you'll have frontal temporal slow. EEG excessively. You'll be able to see that very clearly in a picture. Um, a competent re- reviewer of EEG can see it in the morphology routine EEG as well. It's just easier to see it and put z scores to it um, when it's done quantitatively. Uh, and the other advantage is you can use something called Loretta. Loretta source localizes that abnormal EEG to what structure in the brain it's generated from. So for example, if you have an excess amount of high alpha, say 13 Hertz or 12 Hertz coming from the cuneus, you can see the generated from the cuneus, we typically see that pattern when this person's got a stress disorder, like PTSD, for example. And that would start to give you an idea about what brain region is involved, um, for example. And it helps you then target your neurofeedback treatment deliberately and individually for that person.
0: Great. Thank you so much. And uh, let's, let's still start broad with another question about, you know, I think people are, that are listening here may have already done EEG or some have not, but who, who should be doing a quantitative EEG? Who would you consider as a clinician, as an educator, of course, in this, who would you consider for a quantitative EEG?
1: I think it's appropriate at the primary care level I mean, we know neurologists use it around the country, around the world, and, it's a, and it expands their capability greatly. So certainly neurology is a great uh, specialty group to do more QEG analysis as an addition to the routine EEG. Because um, this is a seated at rest condition, uh, sleepy, a sleepy pattern as well with the eyes closed. Um But it doesn't replace necessarily, you know, a routine. It's nice to do both. Um, But really, people are coming in with brain problems. And it's a low cost, non-invasive approach to get an idea of what's going on with them to help you make a better referral. So I really believe internal medicine, primary care, family medicine are really the first stop for looking at the entire body. Because you need to, you know before you send them off to a specialist, it's really incumbent upon the clinician to have looked at the, every system of the body. You know what's causing this? Is it hormone related? Is it low testosterone that's causing low power in the brain? Um, it would then you you see that in the brain you say well you know let's run a free T let's run a total let's look at an estrone level um, and see do we have a power issue in this cell that I can remedy very quickly in my office before I'm shipping them off to neurology for cognitive impairment. Um, so it, it just it's a wise in my view to start with the low cost, powerful, least intrusive testing uh, before you move them up the chain to specialists.
0: Primary care is often the first stop for people in their healthcare journey and one of the things that we know is that mental health is severely undertreated and underdiagnosed, right? So we have a lot of lab work for physical health things. You know, we check high cholesterol for high cholesterol and screen for high blood sugar and diabetes and things like that. But how do we screen for mental health issues besides someone saying, hey, maybe I have anxiety or depression or brain fog or things like that? And one of the things that I've noticed is that the the quantitative EEG really helps to uncover and even validate mental health conditions and really put it on equal footing with those physical health conditions because we all we all know that these both of these you know mental and physical health are equally important here
1: yeah it's a, and a good analogy really is the you know the, the eeg and quantitative analysis that we you know loosely call it as brain mapping as a you know a term is thrown around it's like a lab test for the brain when we really didn't have something like that for many many years Um, You know, people walk around with hypertension and hypercholesterol, they have no idea. They don't even know that their thyroid's off until you test it. And then it's like, wow, I I can see it. It's validated. It's real. It becomes a target for treatment. And if you do things early um, and look at things early, there's things you can do about it and turn the ship around the earlier you start. So I really find it incredibly valuable um, as an introductory assessment for patients to start to look at what's going on in the brain housing group, what's going on up there early rather than later.
0: What are some of the mental health conditions that the uh, brain mapping, we would say, uh, can help to uncover?
1: Well, we've we've, just to start with the most acute and more recent problems we're seeing is uh, it's called long long COVID, you know, we've all been dealing with COVID now, Um, one in five people um, who have had it are having significant cognitive problems, and we're starting to see certain areas of the brain be very slow, the frontal poles above their eyebrows and about an inch in that area is impaired that affects uh decision making organization and we're seeing different abnormal patterns with long COVID that we didn't see before with other conditions so that's I think going to be very useful plus because we include heart rate variability data we're able to look at the uh, autonomic function at the same time but which is also impacted with, with long haul syndrome or long COVID so that's one reason. Um, anyone who's had a history of COVID now, we're like, look, let's take a look, because we want to treat anything we can treat. Um, other conditions, pre, pre-COVID years, you know, a couple, two years ago, um, PTSD, depression, because there's different subtypes of depression, there's different subtypes of ADD. It's not all dopamine receptor problems in the frontal cortex that is affected with stimulants. Um, There are different subtypes. Some people have excess beta, even beta spindling. And for that subtype, the last thing you want to do is give them a psychostimulant with norepinephrine binding. Uh, That's contraindicated with a brain pattern like that. Yet they still meet criteria for ADHD, but they need a different treatment. So it helps us differentiate and discriminate the problem that the brain is having, not just diagnostically, but what's the functional reason for the symptom. Um, so pretty much any cognitive related problem a person has with related to thinking, processing, speed, memory, motor function, sensory function, mood, all these are brain functions. So we start there. Um, we do not want to neglect the enteric nervous system, of course. Um, so we don't do it in, a, in isolation of other, other testing, like you know inflammation for the body, CRP, homocysteine things like that, um, but it's really an important tool for most patients that are coming in with symptoms.
0: Thank you. And uh, how, do, how does the brain mapping test help to uncover root causes of, of those conditions if, if it can do that?
1: Yeah, it's a very, very um, sensitive test, but the specificity is not high. So what I mean by that is it's very sensitive to subtleties, but you can't tell exactly what condition a person has from it. You get clues and you get ideas. I mean, when you get, when you get better and better at looking at it, your, your accuracy goes up quite a bit on what type of condition or conditions the person has, um, but the sensitivity is really a strength. Um, but the specificity, it wasn't designed to pair up with an ICD-10. Yeah. and those are symptoms icd-10 and dsm-5 those are symptom categorization tools they're not functional n- names or labels so when you say you have depression great i can put that in the, in, in the chart you've got depression but it doesn't tell me why if you had a head injury from a car accident now i know why you have depression because you damaged the frontal lobe so depression has a cause The brain mapping is sensitive and helps us undercover the causes of the problem um, and what subtype of depression you might have or what subtype of anxiety or inattention or memory loss you might have. Um, That's the value of it, really.
0: So I think what I hear you saying is that it's time to overthrow the tyranny of the diagnosis, time to overthrow that monarchy, maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, help, it's, a, it's a useful tool in differential diagnosis. So i um, trying to dis- discern what it is. For example, when we do a workup on a person with, who's coming in with suspected Alzheimer's, we don't know uh, upfront why they have that. Just because they have a t- terrible MOCA score, they've got um, cerebral shrinkage or atrophy on MRI, that doesn't tell me why. Um, and then we do more testing and sometimes we're surprised you know more most recently uh, we have seen a patient it, without question it's from mold and you know so once in a while and we saw, we, we suspected it because the brain mapping did not look like alzheimer's it did not have the same pattern yet the person's cognition was really impaired and you know do a bit more detailed history when you see that pattern you say it's not adding up and you then do some additional kind of expensive uh, mold toxicity testing and lo and behold it's off the chart and then you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together so we do use it for differential um, understanding as well
0: right like that person like you said with quote-unquote dementia i know we've had people that had quote-unquote dementia but it turned out to be depression or like you Mm -hmm. said it turned out to be mold toxicity what is the pattern that you see on the brain mapping for mold toxicity
1: yeah, it can be one of two things. We can have very, um, very global low power in the brain, but we also sometimes see neuroinflammatory process going on, depending on the stage or how acute the exposure might be. So we can see one of two, but what we, it's also what we don't see. So if a person has a normal peak alpha, say at 10 Hertz, their P300B is normal. Um, it doesn't add up with a, with a typical neuro Regenerative dementia. So we're looking at it, and we're thinking, okay, it's not that it's got to be something different that's causing the impairment. So it forces us to look a little bit deeper. Uh, so sometimes it's the it's the absence of markers that helps clue us in as well. But you know, you mentioned pseudodementia, which is, the, you know, when an older adult has met has depression, they will present with dementia symptoms. Uh, we've all known that for decades. Um, that's very easy to deceive. see. I mean, you see frontal low power in alpha, sometimes it's a dominant on the left hemisphere, um, very clear pattern. Um, and then you'll see uh, P300B very delayed, low peak alpha, like you know, below eight Hertz, and we'll often see posterior slowing. Um, we've seen that appears to be correlated with say, uh, an amyloid PET scan in a later stage. Um, but the, but we will see the depression component quite easily, but also it's sometimes both. You know, we have a person with degenerative dementia like an Alzheimer's. They will also have depression. It's not one or the other. It's both. And that helps us to treat both because we can see both on the, on the test results and not just give them ARICEP, but maybe look at treating them with antidepressants as well.
0: Great, thank you so much. And you mentioned before how sometimes you'll see on the brain map there's some indication on there that there could be some hormone imbalances, maybe low T, or maybe they need to, uh, you know, do some bioidentical hormones or whatnot, or or you know, different supplements, etc., to support that hormone axis. What is the connection? What is the interplay between the brain health, but also between brain health and also gut and hormone health? And that's a pretty broad topic there, but. We know from a systems biology approach that's something that's very useful to discuss.
1: It it, it honestly should be the question every clinician asks. You know, what is the relationship between the heart and the brain, between the brain and the enteric nervous system, also called the second brain, which can function independently of the main brain? Um, And the research is crystal clear on this. Uh, Anyone that is not treating in this manner today is really needs to catch up because the enteric nervous system is tremendously powerful in treating the brain. And, and it's really a, our first go-to area of treatment because it has such a profound effect on cognition and brain health to make sure the enteric system is, is solid. Um, and then obviously the endocrine system, all the hormones are, are related to that as well. So those are also very easy with, with lab testing, with urine testing, blood testing, saliva, you can get a really good window into the hormone system and cycle for a person very quickly and inexpensively. Um, so when you do a treatment in like a, in a triad, thinking of it in terms of central nervous system, enteric nervous system, endocrine system, um, you, you know, you really, it's almost all patients get better. You know, we're not really treating anymore, we're curing. A big difference. A lot of medicine is designed, unfortunately, to just to treat um, the problem of the day. And uh, the medicine, we should at this point in the medical history be curing problems.
0: Right, and- so we need to go from a la carte treatments for single isolated ICD-10 diagnosis to more like systems biology treatment, mm-hmm. CNS, enteric nervous system, endocrine system. That, that's great. Well, how that's does- how medicine was designed,
1: first doctor. I mean, in medical school, you you first learn the biology, the cell chemistry, to cure? What's the underlying reason? Somehow that gets lost in residency when you're doing 100-hour work weeks. And you know, that seems to be the pattern, and it's very unfortunate. We need to go back to the basics.
0: And speaking of some of the fundamental foundational pillars of health, how does nutrition impact different brain disorders such as anxiety or depression here?
1: How does the system?
0: I'm sorry, how does nutrition, how does nutrition know. and food? Yeah, well,
1: yeah, very good question. I mean, and everything you put in your body, and it, it wasn't really Hippocrates who said this. If people do the history, you know, let food be your medicine. Uh, he gets credited with it, but it actually has <laughs> another source. I won't go into the history of that quote. But oh, i lo- I love to, to, to discuss that, yes. <laughs> yeah, but, but the principle is still strong. I mean, what your body's exposed to, what water hits your body from your shower, and the amount of chlorine in it affects your body what toxins are in your air what plastics in your water um, all of those are impacted and are changing you at a cellular level and hurting the enteric nervous system which is a sensitive system to filter out poisons and take in good nutrients to make make neurotransmitters to improve your immune system so all of that is happening from the day we're born and um, we start to degrade because of the poisons and toxins in our system. And some people can shed those better than others. Um, but then nutrition, of course, is part of that. If you're not living a life on Big Macs and, you know, no offense to McDonald's, but, you know, there's a lot of fit foods in America in particular that were designed to taste really good, but not really be good for you. Um, there's different foods that reduce inflammation in the body, like, you know, turmeric, turmeric. Uh, different types of foods, essential fatty acids from certain fishes, mackerel, for example, you're trying to undo some of the damage that happens to you every day from exposure to a toxic world that we're in, and it has an impact on behavior. Um, If you don't have, for example, if you don't have zinc, magnesium in your system, you're not absorbing it, how are you gonna make dopamine? You know, you need precursor nutrients in your diet just to manufacture neurotransmitters, which your brain needs to think. So we we need to look at a systems approach, and nutrients is very important. What you do put in, but also what you shield yourself from um, by reducing the amount of toxic exposure. All of that has an aggregate benefit for brain health and body health.
0: I was listening to a podcast today in the morning and um, I was just uh, listening and it just kind of blew me away that uh, that chlorine is actually an antimicrobial and a gut microbiome disruptor. And so even though we're, you know, in our showers and we're probably trying to relax during that time, we're also <laughs> getting exposed to chlorine unless we have the water filters that would, would help that um, to filter that out. Uh, and then the other thing you said was about the nutrients. And I'd like you to discuss the role of fats a bit, because we know the brain's about 60% fat. Is that correct?
1: Just commenting on um, has to do with nutrition and the role of nutrition um, in brain health. And we know that fats are important. It's an important component. And again, that's why we have lab tests to make sure that we don't have abnormal ratio of bad cholesterol. You can look at all those things and monitor that. But we need fats in the brain and like MCT is one of the types of fat, medium chain triglyceride, like in a coconut oil, for example, that can be very good for you when you have cognitive impairment. We always do things in measured steps. Don't go overboard with any new idea, but we monitor it against the entire body in the person's body. So essential fatty acids, fish oil, EPA, DHA has a role, nuts, avocado, more And as we get older, our brain doesn't use glucose as efficiently, we need more ketones. It's the only two fuel sources the brain can use. And as we get older, ketones become more useful to the brain as a way of fueling it. So there's a shift towards ketotic. We call it ketorealistic because to be purely ketotic is extremely difficult. People that do do it, we have seen reversal of that type of severe dementia, um, so it can be very powerful. We know that cancers can't survive when a person is totally ketotic. Um, so there's a lot of advantages to it, but it's not easy to do. Uh, but even being keto realistic can have a big and profound impact on cognition.
0: Thank you. You mean by keto-realistic, uh, keto realistic, uh, keto keto friendly type diet with with a little bit of carbohydrates? Is that?
1: Yeah, that's right. Not going overboard. Yeah. Yeah. there's pros and cons to that we've you know you know i'm old enough to remember the days when people were having so much vitamin e to cure all ailments uh and then they become toxic on vitamin e so you know we want to be wise and systemic in our thinking with these things
0: yeah now, what are some of the treatments that can stem from doing a brain mapping test? So they have the test, they, they show, and, and I do say to everyone also that if, if they're doing a test, for instance, and we, we see a result, you know, no one has a perfect brain. You know, no one has a completely green <laughs> brain map. I think that's really important to say. But what are some of the treatments that can stem from having this test?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, we do, I do see occasionally all green brain maps when people are perfectly healthy. They're, it's normal. And it's wonderful to see most clinicians don't see it because those patients don't come to see you so you know the healthy ones don't go see the doctor yeah. but i have the advantage of testing a lot of special operations people in the military and they're pretty normal you know they're usually very smart etc but um the, what it does is it can guide a lot of different interventions both on a peak performance side but on the clinical side as well for example you can use the EEG data and the quantitative EEG data to select frequencies and location on the brain for things like transcranial magnetic stimulation, direct current stimulation. You can target problems very accurately now, deep within the brain, and, and cause it to change very quickly, even in one visit. You know, tinnitus, for example, ringing in the ears, is typically a central processing problem, not always a Auditory system, but it's processed centrally, and we can see that clear on an EEG. And we can target that with a TMS coil and reverse it, and they'll get you know momentary relief when you're on target. And then when is more sustainable, as you do it again and again, that's one example. Um, Neurofeedback would be another example um, where you can identify the frequency that's abnormal, the location on the brain, the surface sensor location and train the person back. So when I mean train, neurofeedback is a training tool to change the brain. Just like learning to ride a bike, learning to play the violin, you're training the brain to rewire differently. So with neurofeedback, you're using two modalities, something called long-term potentiation, which is when neurons uh, fire together, they wire together, causing rewiring. And then also learning theory is, in, is involved there as well. When you're rewarded, there's release of dopamine and the synaptic cleft, it's rewarding. So it's a combined um, me- mechanism of action. Uh, very, very effective with certain conditions like ADD, certain types of head injuries, certain types of depression. It really should be first-line therapy. It's that effective and it lasts. You don't have to do the treatment forever. Once you're done, you're kind of done. Like. Once you learn to ride a bike, you're not going to forget just because you don't ride it for a couple of years.
0: Right. It's an internal treatment that that you're kind of teaching yourself to do as opposed to an external treatment like a medication or something like that's going to not really be long-lasting because it's not really teaching you anything in a way.
1: Well, there's also another benefit from it that you just kind of highlighted. You're doing it yourself. There's something inherently valuable in Fixing yourself, when you can take control of a problem and you do things deliberately to improve yourself, it has another qualitative benefit that we just don't get when you take a pill. Um, and, and, and when cases like, I mean, probably the most classic is trauma. When people are exposed to early childhood trauma, later trauma in life, that definitely changes the brain. A uh, good friend of mine, Bessel Vanderkolk, wrote a fantastic book, The Body Keeps a Score. And um, those people in particular, when you can give them some control back and they can learn to train, change their own symptoms, it's so powerful and it's long-lasting.
0: How does trauma impact our brain function? Uh, This is a big, you know, I think, question for our times for sure.
1: Yeah, it's a great topic. And again, I would recommend Vessel's book on that. He covers a lot of these topics, but chronic stress, for example, when you have cortisol release, when you have adrenal function overdrive, you're damaging your enteric lining for one thing. So the villi in your gut is being damaged in real time. So we know if that happens, you're eventually gonna have neurotransmitter, lack of production of serotonin, et cetera. So that's one way that you're damaging your second brain from chronic stress sleep problems. Um, the brain, when you're, when you're traumatized, the brain does not want it to happen again. So it'll set up a pattern of processing to keep you from, keep you be hypervigilant, alert, on guard, and that high state of vigilance keeps your sympathetic branch of your autonomic system all jacked up and elevated. So you have a high, high sympathetic tone, which is damaging long-term, damaging to your vascular system, that causes hypertension, tachycardia. So that's another aspect that your amygdala and the hippocampus in your brain are always looking for danger now to try to not let you get hurt again. So over time, and you also are producing more cortisol and your adrenals is 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 overactivated, And that's damaging to the cells in the brain as well to have that kind of load um, constantly bathing the cortex. So it's a combined perfect storm. Um, of body deterioration when a person is traumatized, um, you know, when we've lectured on early childhood trauma, um, and you look at all the physiologic components of it, it's it's unsettling and insidious, but it it, it wreaks havoc on the entire body. So um, the brain is just part of that part of the area that gets damaged.
0: And and if someone has trauma, um, what would you see typically? Or there's certain typical patterns on on an evoke uh, scan.
1: Yeah, and again, we see this, others have seen this. The the classic one is when a person closes their eyes from an eyes open EEG, and then they close their eyes, and they're at rest, they're just sitting down like you or I right now. The right occipital parietal part of the brain, high alpha, elevates very quickly. It's typically generated from the default mode network and the cuneus insula areas of the brain. So it's a very classic sign that there's some hypervigilance. And it makes sense. When you close your eyes, you don't have the ability to see what's coming. You, Your brain is now in a heightened state of alert using your auditory system, vibrations from somebody walking in the room to dot, try to detect if danger is coming. So when you close the eyes, the brain is trying to figure out how do I protect myself now that my sight is removed? And that's one of the reasons we're able to see it. Um, that's one. Also, sometimes there's elevated beta, beta one, which is a frequency band um, and 15, 16 up to 19 hertz it gets quite elevated as well. And um, people that are very anxious all the time, even with some OCD, obsessive compulsive traits, if it's over the anterior cingulate. So the location and the frequency tips our hand to say, wow, we got an anxiety disorder here and it prompts us to ask questions. How many times have a patient been in and out of the doctor's office with severe PTSD and you never knew it because they're coming in for stomach pain, for IBS, headaches, and they get treated for those things. But no one asks the question, oh, what happened to you? And, and give a moment for them to cry and tell what happened. It's 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 tragic that it happens frequently. Um, but many, many cases, we see that. And it's time to intervene with something like EMDR. I would do that before I put somebody on a benzodiazepine.
0: Trauma is at the root cause of many health issues, and I think one of the one of the uh, I would say goals is to first acknowledge that you know identify that, and then and then like you said, we can treat it appropriately with things like EMDR. Um, so there's a lot of different you know directions we can go here, but I I just wanted to first of all um, just acknowledge of you know how how helpful this conversation has been for hopefully all the listeners out, out there um, that have been kind of struggling during this time and, and, and whether now during the pandemic or even pre-pandemic, you know, with a lot of these mental health, brain health issues that probably I would venture to say for most people haven't been validated, really haven't been looked at in terms of the root cause or causes. And so yeah. the brain mapping tests uh, with the Vogue quantitative EEG can be really, really helpful for that, but let's kind of get back to some of the lifestyle recommendations. Let's let's say someone has brain fog; uh, they have some brain issues. What kind of lifestyle recommendations do you recommend to help with brain health?
1: Yeah, a lot. I mean, again, the nutrition side is something you can do, and you can get control over that, and nobody else can do it for you. There is no prescription for this, so this one is really important: education to know what's healthy. I mean, people still think French fries are as a form of a vegetable. You know, so it's like, okay, we need a little bit of basic knowledge. This can go a long way um, in, in, var- in a varied diet, making sure you don't have certain food allergies to certain things. Um, that would be the starting point of what you can do. Um, there's different types of exercise that are useful um, that the body needs, you know, certain ways of helping improve oxygenation. Keeping your sugar level down is probably the one of the single most important things, particularly in America with our crazy diet. It's high A1Cs, high glucose numbers. Those are, in, those are just inflammatory, vascular inflammatory uh, condition that you can reverse. It's something that's reversible. And if you do it early, you'll keep your feet, you'll keep your legs, you won't have diabetic neuropathy, you won't have um, cardiovascular diseases. There's a lot you can do nutritionally, by, and sugars is a big problem. So that would be one thing to start with, Just cut those out.
0: I think we should rename the standard American diet the sugar-added diet, S-A-D.
1: Yes, yeah, <laughs> smart. I mean, I, because it will make you sad. Absolutely will make you sad. It'll make your brain
0: sad, <laughs> inflame your brain. Sugar increases inflammation. Mm-hmm. Inflammation damages the brain cells. Um, how important is sleep in all this with, with brain health? And, and does sleep affect the evoke on a day-to-day basis, on a test-to-test basis, if you have someone that gets seven hours of, eight hours perfect sleep they sleep through the night versus someone that got four or five and they're dragging the next day how is that going to affect it's not going to make a
1: big difference on the brain map results um okay you know one night of get a few hours of sleep when you have chronic um deficit of sleep like you're sleeping three or four hours over months uh you're going to have such significant slowing in processing speed The brain power processing is always slow. Your parasympathetic system will be quite elevated relative to sympathetic. You'll see a lot of deep fatigue there. Um, What is useful, however, and we will usually use it to then order a sleep study, is if you see excessive low power in the frontal poles, FP1, FP2, um, that will usually trigger, we need to look for sleep apnea because you can have people with sleep deficits and it's because of apnea. You know, their brain, their body's being woken up throughout the night because of the oxygen, carbon dioxide level in the body. And that's, that's a problem. So we, we use it from a sleep standpoint, looking at uh, possible apnea. Um, that's one area. And then there's, if you have overactivity, uh, central nervous system overactivity, which is seen in a beta is very high in the parietal occipital area. That's inconsistent with sleep. You can't have a brain processing that fast or racing um, and close your eyes and think you're going to drift off to sleep. So there's different tools that can help. You can train, um, it's called sensory motor rhythm. It's, it's from the left ear to the right. as that stretch through the brain called sensory motor rhythm? That could be trained with neurofeedback to improve sleep. There's a good product out of France that does that. Also, there's things like audiovisual entrainment where you put frequencies into your eyes and ears, uh, product uh, Mind Alive out of Canada is a very good one. Um, and you can send a slow frequency pulse in that will help slow the brain down because the brain will start, neurons will start to uh, fire at a slower pace and calm the brain down. And I've used that with, you know, uh, career military uh, snipers for 21 years who just can't sleep. You know, the brain doesn't shut off. And this is one tool that is non-invasive they put it on at night and can start to fall asleep. And if they wake up in the middle of the night they just turn it on again. So there are tools to help modulate the brain um, non-invasively and AVE or audio visual entrainment is just one of them. Um, and again, we use the brain map data to, to tell us what frequencies and what treatments might work. You know, We kind of use that data to kind of brainstorm what am I going to throw at this person that's going to stick? Um, it, it's kind of a little bit of a cheat. It's like a cheat guide, I guess. You use a brain map to kind of cheat instead of guess.
0: Uh, tests don't guess, right? Yeah. Uh, do you see any differences on brain mapping between people that meditate regularly versus those that, that don't?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, I'll, and, 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 it's, and I'll see, you'll see a lot of alpha rhythm. I mean, it's just off the chart. And it's like they... When they may close their eyes and they're meditators, uh, the brain just fills up with slow alpha and you're like, so either one of two things I'll say, either you're smoking a lot of marijuana <laughs> or you're a really good meditator. Cause you'll see a lot of frontal alpha from the from marijuana use as well. Uh-huh. Um, and when I see college students, they're saying, Hey, I have ADD. I need, I need a stimulant. And I'm looking at that level of frontal alpha. I'm like, uh, your problem for inattention is too much weed. I need to smoking. You know, that's what do
0: that for cannabis. Um, well, uh, I know that some listeners will have this question, so let's let's talk about real quick. Uh, what are your top three? And there's probably more, but let's talk about like top three nutraceuticals that you might recommend if someone is looking for something as a little boost, a little bit of an edge for brain health.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to again go back to the second brain. You can do so much for your this brain by fixing this brain. Love that. We'll so start there. Um, L-glutamine. Vitamin C, prebiotic, probiotic, digestive enzymes, a little bit of black pepper extract to help with absorption. That combo is magical. And if you can add colostrum to it, um, even it, it's it's fantastic. Again, colostrum is from mother's milk, early stage, or collagen. Or the types of collagen for the gut. So if you were to add that combo and fix your enteric system, and in adults it takes as much as three months kids, for about four weeks um, of gut work repair, you're going to do more for your brain, your central nervous system brain, than phosphatidylserine, from ginkgo, from all the things that we think about that are focused on the brain, fix your second brain. Because then every time you put something in your mouth, the body doesn't assume it's a foreign body and needs to have a cytokine reaction against it. So you fix the enteric you're going to fix this. That by far is the best bang for the
0: buck. Great. Thank you so much. A little bit of nutritional neurology here. That's great. And uh, finally, we have some fun closing questions for all of our guests. So I just want to ask you, do you have a morning routine? And if so, do you mind sharing that with us?
1: No mind at all. I, I hear my lawn go off. I wish it didn't. That's the first <laughs> phase. Uh, feet hit the ground. Coffee pot goes on. Uh uh, I'll try to get a, a shot at that combo. I just told you for the gut. I'll try to throw that in a glass right away and a little bit of water, slug it down because you want it on an empty stomach okay. and then 15 minutes in before you eat anything, you've got it hit, you've coated your system with it. It absorbs quickly before you put anything else in your mouth. So that's actually the best, the best routine. And then, you know, the, the typical get ready go to work thing. I hope most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, try to have a diet in the morning with protein. Protein is important to have in the morning your body needs some good, good varied protein.
0: Great. What book or podcast are you enjoying the most right now? And what is it about it and why are you enjoying? What is it about and why are you enjoying it?
1: You know, I really, it's very recent. I just got, it's called Behold Israel. Um, And it's a a person who was in the military in, in Israeli army, but he's taken us through the history of what's going on in the Middle East through the biblical lens of the Old Testament and the New Testament um, and he's, it's just absolutely fascinating that what's going on, and what we don't get in our Western media doesn't show us. Um, so that I really am enjoying. Um, uh, so yeah, Behold Israel has been pretty pretty powerfully uh, influential in me and how I think about the world and how I'm treating other people and trying to put their, their lives and their needs ahead of my own. Uh, helps in my marriage, helps in my care of my children. To think about their needs and how I can be um, more of a servant than beast being and when it needs to be served. So uh, that for sure has really been life altering for me.
0: Great. That's awesome. And um, what do you do every day to cultivate joy?
1: I have joy all the time. I mean, I enjoy what I do. Um, I mean, my, I don't really go to work, I, I go to play. I mean, helping people when they come in and they cry and they say, I you know my mother told me I was worthless my whole life. And you're telling me I don't have these problems. I'm looking at the brain map and they're, they see a path towards a future health, the future benefit that they can control. It's priceless. I mean, you can't buy that kind of joy. Joy comes from doing things for others, not for yourself. Buying a new car, buying a boat, sitting on a beach does not cultivate joy. Doing things for others that cultivates real joy.
0: The best advice and that's incredible the work that you're doing and thank you so much again Dr. Higredorn for coming on our podcast today and how can listeners learn more about you and work with you?
1: I just call anybody who calls and has a
0: question i'm happy to help great well thank you so much for taking the time to listen today if you enjoyed this podcast and this conversation please take a moment to leave us a review it helps our podcast reach more listeners and this has been an incredibly informative talk and conversation with dr david haggardorn today so again thank you so much david um uh for for being with us and thank you so much to the listeners to um And if you have any questions or or comments, you know, we'll probably be doing some sort of um, interactive chat at some point. But I think at this point, just leave your comments in the reviews and don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out on our next conversations. Have a great day, everyone.